Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Good morning. Glad that you're with us this morning. Um, we, if you've been coming to Connect for a few weeks, you know that we're studying the book of the Gospel of John from the New Testament. And we're trying to answer this question, who is Jesus? Um, this morning we're looking at John chapter 9 and this story of the man who was healed from blindness. He's blind from birth. So our question, who is Jesus? This morning's answer is Jesus is the Messiah. At least that's the conclusion that this blind man comes to as he comes to and has an encounter with Jesus Christ. Last week, Pastor Chris taught us from John chapter 8, verse 12, where it says, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. You see, Jesus taught that he came to earth to illuminate the dark places of our world, the dark places of our heart. And when Jesus shines his light on our lives and in our world, it points out things that are wrong to show us what's right, show us what's kind, to show us what's loving. The light of Jesus Christ illuminates dark things. Some of you may also know, if you've read the Bible for a while, that in the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah predicted that the Messiah would open the eyes of those who were blind. You remember that passage if you read the Bible? So this miracle in John chapter 9 is notable because Jesus, as now the light, John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, I'm the light. And now, in a very public and a very calculated demonstration of him as the light of the world, he's going to open the eyes of this blind man, actually also in fulfillment of the book of Isaiah. Before we continue with our message, let's pray. If you just uh, bow your heads and join me in prayer. God, thank you for your word. We believe that it is your word. These are your words on these pages, protected throughout history, supernaturally preserved so we could read it this morning. And we consider it an honor and a privilege. And we pray that we be attentive to hear from your spirit, not my words, but hear what you have to say. Guide us now in the name of Jesus, I pray. Uh, if you have a Bible or you have your app or it'll be on the screen, let's read John chapter 9. Starting in verse 1, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work while I am in the world. And he says it again, just like John 8, verse 12. Now he says it, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went, and he washed, and he came home seeing his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging ask isn't this the same one who used to sit and beg 
Some claimed that he was. Others said, eh, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, no, I'm, I'm the man. Then they asked, how is it that he opened your eyes? He replied, the man they called Jesus, he made some mud, put it on my eyes, told me to go to Saloma and wash. So I went and washed and I could see. Where is the man, they asked. I don't know. Now, think practically for a minute. Of course he didn't know. He's blind. He puts mud on his eyes, and then he tells him to go and wash. So the blind man's never seen Jesus, right? He doesn't know what Jesus looks like because he goes and gets washed, and when, he's gets, when he washes his eyes, then he can see, but Jesus isn't around. So he doesn't know who this guy Jesus is. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. These neighbors, these people who witnessed the miracle, bring him to the Pharisees. And then listen, verse 14. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Uh-oh, Jesus is a rule breaker. Jesus broke the rules. Jesus broke the Pharisees' rules. Uh-oh, so they're telling on him. So they bring him to Jesus, or to the Pharisees. Verse 15, therefore the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied. I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. He doesn't keep the rules. He's a rule breaker. But others said, how can a sinner, how can a rule breaker perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about this guy, Jesus? It was your eyes that he opened. The man replied, mm, he's a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for his parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know it's our son, the parents said. We know that he was born blind, but how he can now see and who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid. They were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah, they'd be put out. They, so that's why his parents said, ask him, he's of age. So a second time, verse 24, a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know Jesus is a sinner. This is their pronouncement, right? We know Jesus is a sinner. Verse 25, he replied, Man, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind, and now I see. I mean, what an amazing testimony that we should be giving, right? Just about God's goodness in our life. Man, I, I, I don't know about all those details, but here's what I know. I was blind, and now I see. I love that. Simplicity. Verse 26. Then they ask him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I love this part. He, he answered, I told you already, man, and, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to be his disciples too? Kind of like poking him a little. Then they hurled insults at him and said, we, you are this man's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And then listen to the little lecture that the beggar gives to the scholars in verse 30. The man answered, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He only listens to godly people who do His will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. 
pointing to his Messiahship. And in verse 34, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth and they condemn him. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Quite a bunch of guys, huh? They throw him out. I love this in verse 35. Listen, Jesus heard that he'd been thrown out. Jesus found him once and now Jesus finds him a second time because he'd been thrown out and he found him, which means that Jesus was searching for him, right? And he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Well, who is he, sir? Tell me so I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were there heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, and this is kind of the point of some of this, if you were blind, you'd not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. Are you telling me I should do something? Are we good? Okay. Um, let's look back at uh, verse 1. Jesus saw the man born blind. Jesus saw the man born blind. Now, this is a very simple point, but I think it's a very important point. Jesus notices the blind man. Um, Jesus didn't ignore the blind man, just like so many others of the neighbors in his neighborhood, probably day after day as he sat and he begged. But Jesus sees the man. Consequently, the disciples, his followers who were trying to become like this guy, Jesus, they have to notice the man, too. I think it's fair to assume that this blind man in John chapter 9 spent most of his life being ignored. Um, Jesus didn't ignore him. Am I supposed to do this? Okay. Thank you very much. Um, everyone else is ignoring this guy, but Jesus doesn't ignore him. Jesus pays attention to him. It's a very simple phrase in verse 1. Jesus saw. Jesus saw the man. I mean, I think you and I both know that paying attention, paying attention to people is one of the most powerful forces in the planet, right? Just giving attention. So Jesus pays attention to the blind man. And don't miss the point. Jesus pays attention to you, and he pays attention to me. He sees what's going on in your life, and he sees what's going on in my life, no matter what we've done. Then in verse 2, Rabbi said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, if you reflect on the question that they ask, it's a very strange question, right? How could his blindness, which existed since his birth, be caused by his sin, which would, have mean, which would practically mean that he would have had to sin while he was inside his mother's womb, which couldn't happen, right? So it's a dumb question. But why are they asking the question? You see, somehow people feel better in that day and in this day, I think, if we think that someone's suffering is something they deserved. You know what I mean? It's like we want to have a cause and effect relationship between sin and suffering. Like, what did they do to get this? Jesus' disciples are affected by the same bad theology. So that's why they ask the same question. This is the followers of Jesus, the disciples who ask the dumb, bad theology question. 
And John includes this story in his gospel very intentionally. Think about this for a second. Uh, Pastor Chris will show us this when we get to the end of the book of John. But at the end of the book of John, it says that if everything that Jesus did was actually written down, the whole world itself couldn't contain the books that would be written about Jesus. You know that verse? So we have to realize that when John writes this gospel, he picks a handful of stories. Very important stories that tell us something, not about the blind man. What's it telling us about? It's telling us about God. John picks this story to tell us that the blind man simply illustrates spiritual blindness that you have and I have, that we all have, that the world has. And how does spiritual blindness show up? It shows up because of our sin. Our sin, our own sin, causes us spiritual blindness. And God wants us to be free from that sin. Look at verse 39. Jesus tells us that He came so that the blind would see. But He's not talking about physical sight. He's not talking about physical blindness, right? He's talking about spiritual blindness. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The God of this age, the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. But then go to verse 6. It says, But God has made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory. Incredible passage, but we don't have time to study that this morning. But look it up later. I'm talking about what God does to overcome darkness. Jesus Christ is the one that can let us see spiritually. We know this. But it's our sin that blinds us from seeing the light who is Jesus Christ. So the Gospel of John, in John chapter 9, the story of the man born blind, is telling us that it's only Jesus that can free us from spiritual blindness. Now, what happens next is that he answers their question, their kind of bad question, in verse 2. But when he answers it in verse 3, he tells us not just the answer to the question, but he tells us more about God and about God's love and about God's plan in this world. Verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in his life. Some of you in the room are familiar with the joy and the wonder of childbirth, to have this new little life, and all of the hopes and the dreams that come with that little life. Our <clears throat> friends, Charlie and Stephanie Riley, had their little baby boy, Chase Riley, and their dreams and their hopes suddenly turned to shock and disappointment when the doctors came in and told them that their brand new little baby boy would be blind and he would not see. They cried. They were angry with God. How could this be? They went down to worst-case scenarios. He'll never go to school. He won't get married. He can't drive. He won't play sports. They imagined all of these worst-case scenarios. They quickly began to doubt God's goodness in their lives. And then they read this verse, and it changed everything for them. And Charlie reminded me about the story again this week. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in his life. This one verse in the Bible changed their perspective for our friends. These words gave them hope. It gave them encouragement. It gave them like anticipation to say, okay, he's going to have vision issues, but, but what is God going to do in his life? How is God going to display the works of God in his life? And so they watched what God was going to do. 
You see, suffering is an opportunity for us to turn to God and to experience His power if we will draw close to God. Maybe it's better to say it this way, without suffering in our life, we may not turn to God as intensely, right? We won't cling to God. We won't seek Him out. We won't walk with Him as closely or know Him as well. Chase Riley is 25 years old now. He's a good friend of mine. We work at the same company. I've been archery hunting in Africa with Chase. Chase is not completely blind, but he does have significant vision issues, significant challenges. But he has found ways to adapt and overcome, and not just overcome, but to excel. Chase is an accomplished blue belt in jiu-jitsu. He graduated high school with honors. He, has a, he had a full academic scholarship to the business school at Colorado State University, where he graduated with honors. He met his amazing wife, Michaela. Chase and Michaela are outstanding advocates for the unborn, to speak up for life. He has this an amazing ability to memorize scripture. He's taken four semesters of Greek, so something's wrong with him right there. Uh, one semester of Hebrew, he's halfway through his biblical studies, master's degree in seminary. Chase's the, uh, understanding of Christian theology is amazing. I think it's, if you look at Chase's life, you can say, I see the works of God displayed in his life. Because that's the verse. The works of God are displayed in his life. It's not just that he overcame vision issues. That's not the point. The work of God is happening in his life when he appears before the state legislature and speaks up for the unborn as a 25-year-old. It's amazing. I don't know what you might be facing, but I know these words are true. Whatever is going on in your life, good or bad, it has happened so that the works of God, verse 3, might be displayed in you. I've seen it in his life. God, you know, never promised that we would not suffer. In fact, he says the opposite, right? John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. John chapter 9 is not really just about this man born blind, is it? It's about God. It's about God's works in your life and in my life. Chase's story and this man's story in John chapter 9 is an illustration of any of us who are forced to depend upon God to apply His power to our situation and to seek out God's works in our lives. Verse 4. As long as it is day, Jesus said, we must do that work, the work of Him who sent me. Night's coming when no one's going to work. It's a very simple thing that Jesus is saying. He's just say, simply saying that Jesus' earthly life is finite, that His ministry on earth would only last a, a period of time. Please hear this statement that Dr. Jan Hadinga said. One of the hardest things for us to believe is that we are actually created to the works of God. One of the hardest things for us to comprehend is that we were created to do the works of God. So the great question is this. It's on the screen. What is the work of God that you were created to be a part of? When Jesus used his saliva and dirt to make mud and he put it on the eyes, Jesus breaks one of the 
the Pharisees' rules, and they're all about the rules, and there was 39 things you couldn't do on the Sabbath, and he broke one of them because he was kneading, they said, mud, making mud. Um, and Jesus, clearly, in the passage, isn't that concerned about rules. What's he concerned about? He's concerned about people. He was concerned about this man. This man who had been ignored and rejected, but this man who had spiritual blindness. That was his real concern. Here's the thing. This guy has been blind from birth. In all likelihood, he's been out begging his whole life. It says that he has neighbors. So he lives in a neighborhood, apparently, of whatever that looked like. But the Bible uses the word neighbor. This means that these people knew him, right? Even if it's like your neighborhood and mine. I know some of my neighbors, but not all my neighbors. But I kind of know what they look like before they drive in their garage and drop their garage door. I kind of know who that person is, right? But these people are the ones that take him to the Pharisees, and they saw this guy. That's the point. Day after day, month after month, year after year, they knew this guy. And yet, they paid so little attention to him. Did you catch what the passage said? That when the incredible miracle happens in his life and he receives his sight, they don't even know what he looks like. They're like, because they ask each other, is that the man? No, no, no. I think he just kind of looks like him. I don't think that's him. They couldn't even figure out if it's him. That's how much they ignored the guy. Two questions. One, are you paying attention to God? And, you know, if you're going to pay attention to God, if you're going to listen to God, God speaks one way, primarily, 99.9% .9 of the time. You know how God speaks? Through the Bible. So the question is, are you listening to God? Are you hearing from God? Are, are you paying attention to God? Which would mean, are you reading His Word? And then secondly, are you paying attention to people? Maybe a better question is, or are you ignoring some of the people in your life that God has placed there and you're supposed to do the work of God in their life or help God do the work of God in their life or witness God doing the work of God in their lives and see how you're supposed to be a part of it? I think a lot of us would agree that a blind person can learn to function in their darkness pretty well. Sometimes you can even see a blind person and go, wow, I'm having trouble to seeing, are they actually blind? Because they adapt to their darkness so well. They've learned to adapt in their dark world. But the same can be true of the darkness of the human heart. You think it's true if we said that people on our planet have adapted to spiritual darkness? I think that's true. You know, many people claim, hey, I can see just fine in my spiritual darkness. I don't need your Jesus. I'm okay. Look what it says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 11. They don't know where they're going because their sin, the darkness, has blinded them. And yet they're saying, oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm fine. I don't need your Jesus. But the Bible, this is a verse of truth. They cannot see. The darkness actually has blinded them. And yet they're saying, I can see fine. The blind man in the story obviously has his eyes open physically, but then he has the eyes of his heart enlightened. And again, John includes this story because it's not really about this man, is it? It's about blind men, and it's about blind women. It's about all of us. And yet, the apostle John includes this little piece about the adverse reaction to Jesus. Uh, remember John chapter 3, I taught about a month ago about this, and verse 19, this is the verdict. Light, Jesus, Jesus has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And the same thing happens to the Pharisees, and it can happen to you and me. 
When we read the Bible, light is shining into our life, and suddenly it's showing us things that we are embarrassed about. We, we wish they weren't, it wasn't so. And so there's this defensive reaction to the light of Jesus and a, and a departure from the light, and it's a natural reaction. Well, that's what's happening to the Pharisees. Jesus, the light of the world, the anointed one, the long-awaited Messiah, the one they've been teaching about and anticipating, he's right in front of them, and a strange thing happens. Did you catch what it said? They call Jesus a sinner. And they say, we are followers of Moses, but he's a sinner. They invert it. Jesus, the light of the world, they call him darkness, and themselves they call light. They flip it on its head. Think of it this way. Are people willing to say that Jesus is a good man? Of course. Nobody says Jesus isn't a good man. They'll say, oh, he's a good teacher, he's a good example, he's a good role model. But when you say Jesus Christ is God in flesh, the Messiah, the only Savior of the world, what happens? The blindness of the human heart refuses to believe that Jesus is essential to seeing. Well, let's talk about, that's the Pharisees' response. And sometimes our response, we withdraw from Jesus. But then there's this other response of the blind man. Notice that throughout the chapter, the man is on a journey of faith. I mean, John, the gospel writer, I think is very careful that he doesn't lay the whole story out at once, he just kind of a little bit at a time. That shows us that the man is on a journey of faith. Verse 11, the neighbors ask him, how is it that you came to see and you, you were healed? And he just simply says, you know that guy named Jesus? That's all he knew. And then in verse 17, when he gets called in for his first interview in front of them, they say, who or how did he open your eyes? And who was it? He says, I think he's a prophet. I mean, he's got some kind of spiritual authority. There's something to him. And then in verse 33, he gets called in for a second interview after the interview with his parents, right? And they say, and at this time he goes, okay, I'm learning something about this guy. If he wasn't from God, he couldn't have done anything. So the healed man has come to believe that Jesus is from God. And then in verse 38, Jesus goes back to see him again. And that's when he says, Lord, you're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the Son of Man. And he worships him. So this formerly blind man is on this journey of faith. We don't know if it was over a period of days or hours or weeks. We don't know how long this story takes. But just like in your life and in my life, we're learning more about Jesus and who he is. We're learning more about him. But then in verse 35 is my favorite part of the story where he gets thrown out. They threw him out, and Jesus goes looking for him. Just like he saw him the first time, now he gets to go find This is Jesus' specialty, right? Jesus loves to find people who've been thrown out. It's a theme all throughout the Bible, right? That God is searching you out. He's seeking me out. He's calling us to follow him, to be involved in his mission on the planet. And when he finds him, he says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Which was kind of... Hebrew code word for the anointed one, the long-awaited one, the one who would redeem Israel and rescue Israel, the Son of Man. You see, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Son of Man, they were all synonymous for a Hebrew or for a Jew. And so he says, well, who is he, sir? Yeah, I'll believe in him. And he says, it's me. It's me. And of course, he believes and he worships immediately. I want to, to say something carefully 
but clearly, if I can, in John chapter 9, I think one of the reasons the gospel writer includes this is to point this simple truth out, that if the salvation that Jesus offers us is not good enough for you, you will never see. This is God's offer, His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, it, people say, hey, I want to see. I want to see. I want to get saved. I want to go to heaven. But I object to the mud in my eye deal. That's not what they say. What they say is what? I, I object to Jesus being the only way. Friends, if Jesus wants to put mud in your eyes so you can see, you should let him. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty simple. If Jesus wants to save you through the blood sacrifice of the cross and that Jesus is the only way to the Father, say yes. If God wants, the God of the universe wants to take you out of your spiritual darkness and take you into his light eternally, and you say to him, I don't, I don't like that cross method. I want to see, but I don't want to come through the cross. At that point, you're just really revealing the depth of your darkness. You see, John chapter 9 is really simply saying there's only one sin that has no remedy, and it's spiritual pride. Pride that claims they can see while actually being blind. And that was the Pharisees. Back in the Peyton Manning Denver Bronco days, remember those days? Um, the Broncos invited me to come and give a little chapel talk before one of their games. So I went uh, to the Inverness Hotel for the little chapel service, and the guys are dressed in sweatpants and hoodies, and, you know, it's game day, ball caps and what, what have you. And I'm greeting guys before, and Coach Fox comes in, and we're talking. And then there's this moment where Peyton Manning walks in, and he looks way down at me because the dude's super tall. And he says, hi, I'm, I'm Peyton, in that kind of southern, uh, you know, accent, if you will. And he introduced himself. He was all business. The only guy there, three-piece suit, tie, comes in. He's got like a leather satchel. Comes in, sits down, opens up his uh, satchel that he's carrying, takes his leather Bible out, puts it in his lap. I go up front. I start talking about the parable of the vineyard workers from Matthew chapter 20. And I pray and do my thing. And, and as I, this is happening, I notice that Peyton is flipping back and forth through his Bible that looks like he's used it you know, quite a bit. And he knew his way around the Bible. That was kind of a cool side benefit. But later I'm reflecting on the whole experience of, you know, talking to the guys before. And then there's this moment where Peyton Manning walks in and it was kind of like, now we can start chapel, right? Boom. Now we start. And he walks in and he says, hi, I'm Peyton. And I remember going, yeah, man, I know you're Peyton Manning. Everybody knows you're Peyton Manning. You could walk down the streets anywhere, almost anywhere on the planet. And people go, hey, hey, that's Peyton Manning. I mean, that's pretty amazing, right? Peyton Manning is incredibly well-known. But that's nothing compared to how well God knows you. He knows everything about your life. And He cares deeply about every detail of your life. Wherever you go, God sees you. God knows you. God loves you. And more than anything else, you know what God cares about? He cares about your sin. Because it's your sin that makes you blind to see that He is the light of the world. And He wants to deal with your sin for your good. For your good so you can see Him and know Him 
And the Bible says that God took your sin and my sin and we put it upon Jesus and Jesus died on the cross as a substitute for my sin and yours. He paid the penalty of death for all mankind for all time. But you know what? The Bible says that you've got to say yes. You've got to say yes. I accept what you did on the cross. When you died for the sin of the world, you also died for my sin. And you have to say yes. Would you bow your heads as we pray? If you want to pray that prayer for the first time or as a recommitment to know that you'll go to heaven, to know that you'll be forgiven, as your head bowed and your eyes closed, just pray these words between you and God, just silently. Just say this, God, I want to get right with you. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. Please forgive my sin. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Take control. I surrender to you. In the name of Jesus, amen.